just want to mention before I get going here today uh, where Josiah is. If you notice, he's not here this morning, and um, I'm mentioning for a couple of reasons. One, because it's nice to let you know where people are when they're not around. You know, kind of like, oh, I wonder where that person is. I like to know where you are. And you know what? Some of you do this. If you're not going to be here on a Sunday, you actually text us or message us and say, hey, we're not going to be here. We're like going on vacation and we're doing it. And we actually love that because it helps us, one, just kind of know, like, is everything okay? You know, and two, just keeps us connected. It's like, oh, they're on vacation. This place. And it's kind of fun to know what you're up to and what you're doing. So um, if you ever want to know what I'm doing, you can just ask, you know, text me and be like, hey, what are you doing? And I'll just tell you what I'm doing. So. Yeah, anyway, what's Josiah doing? So he is in Reading uh, right now. He uh, flew up just for a quick trip. He is doing, he's recording today, okay? So uh, at about noon, I, right, right now, right now, so just say a quick prayer in your mind right now. Lord bless Josiah as he's recording, and uh, he's a, recording an original song that they've asked him to come and do. So uh, let's be in prayer as they're kind of going over those fine details and, and sorting the musical and all. As, there's a lot to it. I don't know the half of it. So um, let's just, you know, pray for that and that he, you know, comes in strong and it's exactly what uh, would bring glory and honor to the Lord uh, in this season. So he'll be back tomorrow morning. So um, Revelation. I just want to, I have, I'm sorry, Sylvia, I just give it a shout out. Like, girl, I missed you. You were, felt like you were gone so long. Sorry, that was like a personal moment, but I just had to say something. It's nice to see you. Okay. Revelation. We're in a series on Revelation. The vision of the throne room, which Craig talked about last week, concluded with the lamb sitting beside the father the one on the throne. And together with the seven spirits of God, they are worshipped by thousands upon thousands as the one true creator uh, and redeemer. And then the, the slain lamb begins to open the scroll. That's kind of where we are. And this is a symbol, if you remember, of his divine authority because of the seven horns that we talked about to guide history into its absolute conclusion by the time we get to the end of the book. So today we boldly enter Revelation 6, 7, 8, and 9. I hope you read it in advance. If you didn't, it's okay, but hope you did. Um, so here we're going to launch the three cycles of seven. We will not finish them. We will just launch them. Okay, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Okay, each cycle depicts... God's kingdom and justice coming to earth as it is in heaven. All right. So there are different viewpoints on this imagery. Some people think it's a literal sequence of events, okay, where it's past, present, and future. However, the way John is actually woven these events together kind of is interesting because the bowls come out of the trumpets and the trumpets come out from the seven seals. So the best way that I feel that encapsulates the picture of what this is, is to imagine nesting dolls. Okay, you know those little dolls that are inside the dolls? Yeah, each seven contains the next seven. So also, a note to mention that in each series of the seven, it concludes with the final judgment with matching conclusions. So in light of all of that information, it's more likely that John is using each of the sevens to describe the same period of time between Jesus' resurrection and his future reign from three different perspectives. Okay, 
So as we found out in last chapter, John begins to weep because he's, he's like, no one is found worthy to open the scroll. And, but then he hears that the lion of Judah is worthy. He's the worthy one. And then he sees the slain lamb. So the lamb begins to open the scrolls, first the seals. So John sees the first four horsemen as the first four seals are open. And there is a corresponding uh, vision in Zechariah chapter 1, if you want to look at that another time. So Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 1, it says, Then I saw the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures call out as with a voice of thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse whose rider carried a bow and a crown was given to him, and he rode forth conquering and to conquer. Hmm. So potentially this first seal is a picture referencing a powerful takeover by a destructive force of military conquest. So you'll notice um, that this rider in a moment as we get through the next three riders are, gr is grouped with other riders that will represent war, famine, and death. So although there's a white horse, and normally we would think, oh, that is a good thing, like Jesus comes riding on the white horse, that is not the same white horse. This is a different horse, okay? So it's not, it's not that. It may be trying to emulate that. But it is really an evil conqueror set on its conquests. God is love, and he sent Jesus, who was love, also to us. This is the enemy's opposition to that love. It is military conquest, a takeover. Then there's the second seal, verse 3. When he, the lamb, broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come. And another fiery red horse came out, and his rider was empowered to take peace from the earth, so that men would slaughter one another, and a great sword of war and death was given to him. How many know that Jesus is our peace and Ephesians 2.14 says who has broken down every wall? So the enemy here has intention of destroying our peace with war and violence, which is his oppositional spirit in the earth to God's peace. War and violence, the second seal. The third seal, verse 5. When he, the lamb, broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature call out, Come. I looked and behold, a black horse of famine. And the rider had in his hand a pair of scales, like a balance. And I heard something like a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius, which is a day's wage, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So why are they announcing the price of food here? That's interesting. This is to give us context for how terrible the famine described here was going to be. Wheat and barley, which were stables in the ancient world, would, would begin to sell at extravagant prices. People would have to spend what they would make a whole day just to get enough food to survive that day. Doesn't this feel like a little bit close to home, though? Wasn't it not that long ago that, like, toilet tissue was, like, selling for alarmingly great rates on Amazon and eBay? Other people taking advantage of other people who didn't have it and our shelves in the stores were empty and even now with inflation and travel is at an all-time high and hmm. the third seal famine and food shortage 
The fourth seal, verse 7. When he, the lamb, broke open the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creature call out, come. So I looked and behold, a pale greenish gray horse representing death and pestilence. And his rider's name was death. And Hades, the realm of the dead, was following with him. They were given authority to kill with the sword and with famine and with plague and disease and the wild beasts and by the wild beasts of the earth. See, hell is a real place. It is not a symbol to represent a hard time of life. Death and hell, the fourth seal. So then the four horsemen are out in this vision now, and John has seen this terrible notation of what is to come upon the earth. And then in the midst of all this, the fifth seal is open. And here's where it gets really real. Verse 9, when he, the lamb, broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered because of the word of God and because of the testimony of which they maintained out of loyalty to Christ. And they cried in a loud voice saying, O Lord, holy and true, how long before you will sit in judgment and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given a white robe and they were told to rest and wait quietly for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who will be killed even as they had been, would be completed. The fifth seal is open and John sees the souls, the martyrs of those who died for their faith. Okay, we need to catch this before we move on here. Where were they? They were under the altar. What is the altar? The place of sacrifice. They had made their resting place at the altar of sacrifice. What am I doing with my life? Is the place where I am, and the place where I will be at the end, will I be found under the altar of sacrifice? How much have I, am I, willing to give to the Lord? See, the imagery here that John is, is, is seeing is linked to the altar of sacrifice that actually stood in the temples of the outer courts in Exodus. So this very altar in Exodus had a trough underneath it. And the trough that was used to catch the blood that would run from the animals that were sacrificed on it. Here are the martyrs. The ones who had given everything to stay true to their witness. They're under the altar or they're in the trough where the blood, where their blood poured out as they were killed for their faith. And then as John sees this, he hears their voices cry out, when will it end? When will it end? When will we stop seeing our brothers and sisters in the earth be killed for their faith? When will it end? When will this pain end? When will this, this horror end? And the answer is, just wait a little bit longer. The end is coming. Just wait till the number is up. Now, that sounds kind of horrible, like there's an actual number. But 
It does, but, but if you think about it in another light, it, it's actually not because, because I don't look at it that way. I look at it like there's a number. There's an end to this. This is not going to go on forever. Like there will come a time when the Lord will step in and say enough is enough. And God has been aware and is always aware. And this is not a surprise to him. And it will be okay. See, how many know that, that when you know there's an end coming to something, it gives you hope to hold on to like it is, it's the not knowing if it will end that causes us to, to lose hope. It gives room for despair to settle into our lives because we don't know. What if it never ends? This is a bad place we find ourselves in. But the people here, they're crying out. They're like, when will it end? And they're desperate in pain. And the answer is, it will. Sometimes. I just need to know it will. Sometimes I just need to know it will, in the end, get better. It will change for my good. I, you know, you're in the middle of a chaos crisis right now, and you don't even know if it's ever going to end. It will. You're battling with bills and expenses, and you're like, the ends aren't meeting, and you're wondering, will your paycheck ever be enough to cover it? It will. You're praying for your son or your daughter who's far from the Lord and you don't even know if your prayers are changing. It will. You're struggling with addiction and you're like, I'm not convinced it's going to break in, in my life. It will. It will. It will. The Lord's saying just a little bit longer. It will. It will be different. Verse 12, the sixth seal. Then I looked when he, the lamb, broke open the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth like a fig tree shedding in late summer. The sky was split and rolled up like a scroll, and every mountain and island was just lodged and moved out of their places. This is incredible that he, what he saw here. And then the kings of the earth and the great men and the military commanders and the wealthy and the strong and everyone, whether slave or free, hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And then they called to the mountains and said, fall on us, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the righteous wrath of the lamb for the great day and vengeance and retribution has come. And who is able to stand up against God and the wrath of the Lamb? The sixth seal. This is utter terror for the earth right now. So the sixth seal is open as God's ultimate response to the cry of the martyrs who are under the altar at the place of sacrifice. When will it end? When will it end? Here, the great day of the Lord, it will end. It's also the side of the fence I don't want to be on. This is a crazy time. The people of the earth are panicking. And at this point, it doesn't matter if you have money or if you don't have money. It doesn't matter if you had been successful or not successful. It doesn't matter if you had built a great legacy or nothing at all. If you had a family or not a family. Because everyone here is even playing field. So, there's a sudden stop right here in the book of Revelation. For John to answer the question, who is able to stand. Who is able to stand and face the Lamb? 
he hits pause and there's an intermission. The earth is in turmoil. The lamb is coming. The people are hiding. The conviction of not living their lives up to the standard of the Lord they're coming face to face with right in this moment. Everything in life had led to this moment. However, they had not lived their life as though this was the case. So they're scared and they're running and they're hiding and they can't stand in his presence and they can't face the lamb. You ever hear someone say, if I step into a church, the whole thing will burn down? It's kind of like this right now, but uh, it's worse because the lamb is there. Or like a special speaker or prophet comes in and you're just not making eye contact. <laughs> you're just like hoping he doesn't have a word for you. This is a whole new level, though. This is God himself. So who is able to stand before the lamb? is the cry, is the question. And then the answer comes in loud and clear. The servants of the Lord, the Lamb's army, the Lamb's army. And then we go to chapter 7. So John looks around in chapter 7 and he sees four angels stationed at the four corners of the earth. And they're firmly holding back the four winds. So not even a tree will rustle its leaves. See, in the Old Testament, wind denotes judgment from God. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 11, to have wind blowing from the four corners of the earth, the four compass points, reveals that the judgment of God would be complete and come to the entire earth for those who have not chosen him. You cannot escape this. However, if you have lived a life with him, then you don't need to fear this. You're exempt. Another angel comes from the east side and is carrying a signet ring. It's the seal of God himself. And he is there to place a mark of protection on God's people who have been enduring all the hardship of what's been happening on the earth. And then John, here's a number. But before there was an instruction given to the four angels, standing awaiting their assignment, holding back the power, they had to send destruction on the earth until each of the bond servants were sealed or protected. That was the instruction. So then John hears this number. And the number that he hears is 144,000. Verse 4. And I heard how many were sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. I'm not going to read all the tribes. Verse 9. And then... After these things, I looked, and this is what I saw. A vast multitude which no one could count, gathered from every nation and from all the tribes and peoples and languages of the earth, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, dressed in white robes with their palm branches in their hands. John sees a multitude of people that no one could count. He hears 144,000, a specific number. He sees a number unable to count. People from all backgrounds, languages, and places. It's incredible. All from all over the earth. All those who have chosen Jesus. See, numbers are symbolic, and more often than not, they're not like literal numbers. The number is, in, in this case, is a military census of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the surprising fulfillment of those military images is what he sees, a number no one can count. 
Because in Jesus, the slain lamb, there is a Masonic, Masonic army who is able to stand before the wrath of God because they are protected or sealed with the signet because they had chosen to live for him on the earth and not of this world. The angel has marked them representing each of the tribes of Israel and the peoples, all peoples of the earth, all nations, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham, this multi-ethnic army of Jesus, the Lamb, who can stand safe while the rest of the earth awaits judgment. Why? Because they've been redeemed. How? By the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> See, not then and not now can we work our way to God. We cannot earn righteousness, purity, holiness. It is only by the blood of the Lamb. We have been purchased, saved, justified, set free. I cannot do enough good enough to free myself from my pain, my addiction, my fears, my sin, my mistakes. It's only by the blood of the lamb. <laughs> Even if I could get on a good roll, I have two, three days, and I haven't done anything wrong. No mistakes. I'm like perfect on the third day, and then the fourth day, when I mess up, I am back to the same place. It's unattainable. It's unreali unrealistic to think that I can do this on myself, that I can make myself good enough to stand before the Lamb. But forgiveness and freedom and healing from the Lamb takes all the pressure off me. I don't have to earn it because it's already been earned for me. It was purchased by the blood of the Lamb. See, <laughs> because in the Lamb, it's finished, right? I can live now from a position of righteousness, even though I live in a series of mistakes, always. Because I can, I, I, I'm always slipping up. I'm always making mistakes. I, because, but because I didn't earn it, I can't honor it. It was a free gift. Now, it was costly, but free. But the lamb paid it all. The lamb. This is amazing. And I just, if, if we could just get true revelation from Holy Spirit, like deep revelation in our spirits to know beyond our mind, deep into our soul of what the Lamb has done and the position we now live from, oh, we'd be just crazy people for Jesus. We wouldn't get so down on ourselves when we make mistakes because we'd be like, I just, I, I'm free in the Lamb. <laughs> We would just pick ourselves back up and move on again. We would have grace for each other because I'd know that the lamb already purchased it for you. So I wouldn't get so upset about you slipping up all the time. Because I'd be like, oh, they're washed by the lamb. <laughs> so here, this number of people, too many to count, they're marked by God himself with the signet ring. And they begin to say this in verse 10. In a loud voice, they cry out saying, Our salvation is due to the God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. To them we owe our deliverance. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And they fell to their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and majesty and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. <laughs> it's a lot of words. Belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
blessing and glory and majesty and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Blessing and glory and majesty and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> then one of the elders said, John, who are they? Who are these people in these super white robes? And where did they come from? And John's like, I don't think I'm going to answer that. I feel like it's a rhetorical question. Like, I feel like he knows this because he's here. Verse 14 is the answer. These are those who came out of the great tribulation. It says that they have had their robes washed and made white again through the blood of the slain lamb. And because of this beautiful redemption, they can stand before the throne of God and they can live in their eternal home in heaven forever. There's an old song that says, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And then he takes me by the hand and he leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Come on, some of us have loved ones that's already gone ahead of us. What a day, glorious day that will be when he leads us into that promised land and we see our loved one up ahead and we're like, what a day, glorious day. We get Jesus, we get our loved ones, we get this reunion of all those who have chosen to live for him. Come on, what a day, glorious day that will be. The Bible says that we have a glorious hope of no pain, no more problems, no more fears, no more questions. And then in verse 17, it says, For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, they have seen a lot. They have experienced a lot of pain and devastation. They have a lot of regret. And there's going to be a lot of tears to wipe away. But the lamb is going to wipe them all away. And then they're not going to feel it anymore. And that joy, that everlasting joy is going to be complete. See, I don't want to get to the end. Meet Jesus and regret how I live my life. I just don't want to. I know there's things that I've done and probably still do that I, like, I wish that I haven't and wish that I won't. But I don't want to get to that day and have so much regret that the tears are so much. I can't even imagine how painful that would be to know all I know but not live it. And then to get to the end, barely make it through. You know, the Bible says there's, there's those who will make it to heaven by barely escaping the flames. They experience salvation, but instead of living a righteous kingdom life and gaining rewards in heaven for that life, they lived in grace all the time. They just lived in their mistakes and grace and mercy all the time. And I know we all do, but there's a difference between a desire to live fully surrendered and then just making mistakes along the way versus just a casual approach to Jesus, walking the line, doing all the things you can get away with, but still keeping him in your heart. There's a difference. See, heaven is not my goal. Heaven is my prize. So, so getting to heaven is not the benchmark of success with the Lord. 
I have more of a responsibility to my Savior than merely just receiving his gift and then barely escaping the flames. After this, in chapter 8, the seventh seal is broken open. Silence takes every drop of air. For a half an hour, nothing makes a sound. Now, was it literally 30 minutes? Probably not. It probably just symbolizes a long time of silence. If we just sat here for 30 minutes in silence, it would feel super long. This long, dramatic pause signals the judgment that is about to come. The silence is preparation to hear the trumpet that is about to be blown. Chapter 8, verse 2. It says, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. This is where the picture of the nesting dolls come in again, because all the six seals have been opened, and then the seventh one gets opened and... Seven trumpets pop out. So why trumpets? In the Bible, trumpets were used to warn people. They were used uh, sometimes to gather people before a battle or emergency. And trumpets here, in this case, represent the warning or judgment and call to come back to the Lord. So before the sound is released from the first trumpet, something happens. Verse 3, and another angel came and stood over the altar, and he had a golden censer. And he was given a lot of incense that he might mingle it with all the prayers of the people of God, the saints, upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense arose in the presence of God with the prayers of the people of God from the hand of the angel. So the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it upon the earth. And then followed pearls of thunder and loud rumblings and blasts and noises and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. It's a lot happening here. This moment symbolizes the cry of the martyrs that we'd heard and is cast on the earth, bringing about the day of the Lord to its completion. This is a powerful and beautiful moment of honor before things move along. Verse 6, then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. So I feel like they're just like standing in place or something. With the trumpets, John now backs up and he retells the story again with this time images from the Exodus account, the book of Exodus. And I am not going to go through everyone in detail like I did uh, with, this, with the seals. I'm just going to kind of like list them real quickly. So if you're taking notes, jot it down. All right, the first trumpet is hail. And that's in, um, like I said, uh, Exodus chapter 9, and you kind of can read through some of it. So the first trumpet, hail. And it comes down, if you remember the story of the plagues, or if you don't remember, go back and read it. But this is what the first trumpet released. The second trumpet, John sees something that looks like a mountain with fire, and then there's blood. There's blood everywhere. So the second trumpet is blood, and the sea turns to blood, and there's it's the ocean, and the ships are like destroyed because of the blood. Then there's a third trumpet, and in the third trumpet, a huge star falls from heaven, and it's burning like a torch, and it falls on the rivers and springs of water, and it makes all the water poison water okay so it's it's just destroys all the water of the earth in the third trumpet and then the fourth trumpet is darkness and the sun is hit and the moon is hit and everything goes dark black 
And then verse 13, he says, I looked hard and I heard a lone eagle crying out, doom, doom, doom to everyone left on the earth. This sounds terrible to be hearing this. There are three more angels about to blow their trumpets and doom is on the way. Now this verse, verse 13, it's a transitional verse. Okay, because the eagle is symbolizing the wrath from Deuteronomy 28 and 49, announces that with the final three trumpets, things are about to get a lot worse, as if they weren't already bad enough. The first four affected the physical world. The last three affects people directly. These dooms will hit the inhabitants of the earth, which is a phrase used to describe people who will fall under judgment. So the fifth trumpet, again, we can see the corresponding um, to the plagues in Exodus. It is the locust, or the demon locust, as I like to call them. Chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel trumpeted. I saw a star plummet from heaven to earth. The star was handed a key to the well of the abyss. Then out of the smoke crawled locusts with venom of scorpions. And they were given their orders. Don't hurt anything except only men and women. And only those who lack the seal. Remember, we talked about that of God on their foreheads. They were ordered to torture but not kill. The pain like a scorpion sting. When this happens, people are actually going to prefer death to the torture. And they are going to look for ways to kill themselves. But they won't find a way. Verse 7, the locusts looked like horses ready for war. They had gold crowns, human faces, woman's hair, the teeth of lions, and iron breastplates. The sound of the rings were sound of horse-drawn chariots charged into battle. Their tails were equipped with stings like scorpion tails. They had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, and his name in Hebrew was Abaddon. And in Greek, destroyer. Verse 12, the first doom is past. This is the first one. There's two dooms yet to come. The sixth trumpet releases the four horsemen that came from the first four seals. The sixth angel trumpeted. I heard a voice speaking to the sixth angels from the horns of the golden altar before God. Let the four angels now loose the angels that were confined at the great river. The four angels were untied and let loose. They prepared and, and for the month, the day, the year that they were to kill a third of the human race. And I heard the count and I saw both horses and riders in my vision. Fiery breastplates on the riders, lion heads on the horses, breathing out fire and smoke and brimstone. And with these three weapons, fire and smoke and brimstone, they killed a third of the human race. Verse 20. The remaining men and women. Okay, let's back up. A lot bad has happened here. It's like, it's so bad. You're going to, people are going to wish that they could die, but they won't be able to. It's so bad. Then this. And then a third does get killed. Verse 20. The remaining men and women who weren't killed by these weapons 
went on their merry way. They didn't change their way of life. They didn't quit worshiping demons. They didn't quit centering their lives around lumps of gold, wealth, silver and brass, hunks of stone and wood, just building something for your own pleasure. They couldn't see or hear or move. There wasn't a sign of change of heart. They plunged right on in their murderous, occultic, promiscuous, thieving ways. All the plagues, all the destruction, all the pain, all the horror, all the fear, all the hiding out, the nations did not repent. This is the vision. No change. This is unreal. But it's just like in Exodus with Pharaoh when the plagues came and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and his people didn't, they just didn't get it. They didn't change their ways. And just like today, with all the pain and all the outbreaks and all the struggle and all the things we go through and the culture is experiencing and, 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 and everything that we lack in, in, in our world, people stay the same, live for themselves, do terrible things, and not willing to change and follow the ways of the Lord. It's hard to understand. See, suffering, though, especially intense suffering, has a tendency to intensify whatever is already in a person's character. So when we're squeezed, what's on the inside will come out. So under pressure, we're revealed. We're not created under pressure. We're revealed under pressure. We're created in the secret place as we find intimacy with the Lord. That's where we're developed and created. We're not created under pressure. We're revealed. Sometimes we can gather some good things if we're also in the secret place under pressure and it can work together. But if the inside character isn't already there, isn't already being developed or worked on, it's just going to be revealed for what it is. So if someone already loves the Lord or has a soft heart towards him, suffering may help him more like Jesus because it's, a leaning into him in the hard time. But if a person is hard towards the Lord or is not working on themselves or, or you know, doesn't invest that time with him, suffering may increase the traits already in there. The frustration, the anger, the impatience, the maybe the rejecting of the Lord, the rebellious nature. So it seems like God's judgment alone will not bring people to repentance. But God's judgment must happen. He's a holy God. And nothing unholy can enter eternity with him. And eternity is real. And it will happen. But as we will soon find out, it is truly the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, to change. And that is a beautiful thing. I'm going to end with that today. And it's a lot. And it's a lot because it's real. If this was just a cool kind of like story or a movie, it would be fine and we could just go on our merry way. But because it's real, it's a lot. So what do we do right now as we um, prepare to, to leave this place in a little bit? Number one, my, my call is to live differently while we still can't. Like, while we can. 
it's the, the, in the first message we talked about, and this is the compromise versus the faithfulness. Will God's people endure to the end? Or will we compromise because of life and hardship? Or will we remain faithful? So live differently now while we can. Number two, love people better because being mean doesn't help. <laughs> Can't make it more simple than that. <laughs> Number three, give second chances. And third and fourth and fifth and sixth. Because God is the most perfect one and he does. And number four, let's ask Holy Spirit to lead us into an encounter. We've we heard over the last couple weeks about the open door, how John saw the open door, and he was an invitation to come through the open door. And we know the open door is Jesus. Let's ask Holy Spirit in our quiet time at home. Lead me into an encounter through the open door. I guarantee you, you'll begin to see and experience things beyond here into the eternal realm, into something called the third heaven, which is really the heaven that I'm talking about, like with Jesus and God and the angels. And you will begin to experience those, those encounters that will help you live with an eternal perspective. Because suddenly your mind and your spirit is going to come alive to something that it wasn't alive to before. Amen? Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, I thank you um, that you are for us. I thank you that you sent Jesus to redeem us. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you guide us and bring us into complete relationship with nothing missing and nothing broken. I pray that as we go today, that we would be challenged and inspired to live differently, to love better, to give second chances, and to pursue and engage in an encounter with you that will truly change the way we live today. And I thank you for that and for everything that you've done this morning. I pray that you would seal the words of the Lord in Jesus' name, amen.